Today on Laura Lynn and Friends. 1946 Arab American Princeton professor Philippe Hette, famous guy, testified against partition to the Anglo-American Committee with the following candid statement, there is no such thing in Palestine in history, absolutely not. So the Arabs were saying then what the Jews are saying today. For them, Palestine was the Zionist conspiracy because the Balfour Declaration used the term Palestine. So they wanted to say Syria, which would block Jewish immigration to, to, to the region. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laurel Lynn Tyler Thompson, and I'm still getting over a bit of a cold, but feeling great. I've got uh, something still in my mouth, so sorry about that. I'm super excited, and uh, the reason I'm excited is because truth excites me, and getting to the bottom of an issue and understanding. I've seen a lot of people online this week. I've seen a lot of videos with untruths, um, disinformation, that is spreading far and wide. And I've seen a, a lot of people talking about things that happened on October 7th and basically denying certain things that happened. Um, I made a decision today at least. I have a video with the people in Israel who had to attend to the deaths of the people. So they were coroners, nurses, and they were people that assisted and I'm not going to show the video because sometimes uh, I have these great letters from kids who watch the show. And uh, I even have one right here from this beautiful person. I believe this person who wrote me a nice letter is 12. And I don't want to scar the people that are watching. But I will say that in the description, I've asked JT to put the link to the... It, it's a broadcast that has several... Numerous people who attended to the devastation of what happened October 7th and are telling the truth about it because there's lies out there. There's people saying no one was beheaded, that it wasn't, no one was raped. All lies. Terrible things happened. People were there. They're putting their names, their reputations, and their lives on the line to tell the truth. Um, I find the information disturbing. And I did, watch, uh, I did watch some of it this morning, and I just made the decision that in light of precious people and children who might be watching with you, that uh, we will not put it on. But for any of you who say, I don't know what really happened, well then, I want you to go to the description. Uh, you'll find the video where, where they are dissecting exactly what happened. Before we bring on uh, Pastor George Antonios, I want to um, do a quick clip of the son of a former Hamas soldier. I think he was fairly high up in the Hamas regime. And this man is telling the truth across North America. Take a look. First crime against children in the Palestinian societies is not arming them or encouraging them to carry suicide bombing attacks. It's the religious, ideological indoctrination that I had to go through. With one intention in mind, to annihilate the state of Israel. This is Hamas' primary goal, 
In this truth, there is no confusion. I speak as first-hand witness on Hamas and their intention. My father is one of the founders of Hamas movement. I was there when Hamas was born. I was before Hamas was born. And as I said before, I will be there after Hamas is dead. I am not a part of propaganda. I don't work for nobody. I only represent myself. And on this authority, I speak. So don't be mistaken. And take my words very carefully. Hamas is committing a crime against this generation and the next generations to come. So he has been speaking out, and we've aired numerous of his clips. And what I thought was interesting is he speaks about the indoctrination that he was taught initially as a child, that he was to hate the Jews. We heard this also from Dr. Nazarian, who was on our show about, uh, I think, about 10 days ago. And she also spoke about this. So <clears throat> I'm going to invite uh, Pastor George Antonios to come on uh, now, born in Lebanon during the Civil War. And I wonder, Pastor George, first of all, thank you very much. You're a very busy man. And thanks for taking the time to be with us and to give us some clarity and insight, um, especially from your lived experience about how to perceive and to see what's happening in the Middle East. So thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me on again, uh, Laura Lynn. It's been, a, it's been a while. I'm glad to be back on, especially about this topic. Yes, yes. We've been on about other topics before. Um, so tell me about your history, like being born in Lebanon, that must have given you some insight, an, an awful lot of insight, and your, your family of origin, um, how sort of how all of your, your bloodlines play out. Tell me a bit about sure. that. Sure. So on my, on my father, yeah, born and raised in Lebanon, on my father's side, uh, I'm from Deir al-Amr, the city, that's a hometown of George Antonios, who's the author of the seminal book called The Arab Awakening. He wrote the book in the 30s about the Arab Awakening as uh, the Arabs came from under the tutelage and uh, the rule of the Ottoman Empire, having helped the British during World War I. The Arabs looked to have their own sovereign nation states. <clears throat> and so George Antonios, which in all likelihood would be a distant relative of mine from my hometown, went down to what was known then as Palestine. And he wrote the book that is still studied in universities and colleges today about the beginnings of Arab nationalism in the 20th century, the turn of the 20th century. So that's on my dad's side. On my mom's side, my grandparents, maternal grandparents, my grandmother was born in Bethlehem. That's the Judean Bethlehem where Jesus Christ was born in about 1924, 1925. And my grandfather was born in Haifa in northern Israel. And then as a result of the 1948 War of Independence of Israel, they had to leave. And I can tell you why exactly they had to leave. We can go down that path. And so they left and uh, went up to Lebanon to Beirut. And that's where my mother and her siblings were born. So that's my background. Sure. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Tell me about why they had to leave. Uh, because the Arab ru uh, rulers told them to leave. And uh, look, anybody, you know, just as a disclaimer, I'm, I'm, I come, I'm, I'm a Christian man. I believe the Bible. Jesus Christ saved my soul by faith in his blood and his resurrection. 
the Bible, my Bible tells me God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, Jesus Christ died for all people. And I don't want people just to cut me off and brand me as some kind of propagandist. And, you know, they're not going to listen to me anymore just because of the angle I'm coming at this. I'm asking people to, to hear me out and then make their, their, their judgment call. The most important thing, when Jesus Christ was talking to the Samaritan woman, she kept on, in John chapter 4, she was trying to debate him about, well, we're the real Jews, or we're descendants of Jacob, you guys are not. And the Lord was eschewing that topic until she kind of forced him and he said, look, salvation's of the Jews. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Um, so with that said, the, the, the most important thing is that there's people need to repent by believing in Jesus Christ for their salvation of their soul. What we're discussing today is geopolitical. That's a different issue. And I hope the people can separate those two in their minds. Okay. So I had read that the Arab leaders had instructed the inhabitants of the land. I'm going to call it the Levant. L-E-V-A-N-T, which is how it was known. The Levant meaning the Mediterranean coast. Because if I start there uh, using terms like Israel and Palestine, it might put off people. And those terms, by the way, are historically confusing. So I had read that and I asked my grandmother, is it, is it true that it's the Arab leaders that told you to leave? And she said, yes. She's, she's with the Lord now. But she told me, they told us, uh, you can you leave here because there's a war coming. We're going to drive the Jews into the sea. And then once we've won that war, you can come back and reclaim the lands that you possess now and also more lands that the Jews possessed. And so my grandmother and my grandfather, by the way, on my mom's dad's family, used to own most of Haifa, including the Mount of the Baha'is. The Baha'i religion owns the mountain now uh, and never compensated us for it. And so they had to leave to Lebanon at the behest of the Arabic leaders, not Jews driving them out. My grandmother tells me that the women would, would feel safer uh, around Jewish people than around Muslim people. And again, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this because I have any kind of agenda against anybody, but when I hear so many infuriating things and lies concerning Israel and concerning Islam, for us Christians of the Middle East, living it, it's incredible that a lot of this stuff gets dismissed as mere propaganda and, and that people naturally kind of take the pro-Arabic, pro-Muslim side because big bad Israel is oppressing these uh, poor little Palestinians. Hey, you want to stand by? You want to stand by an oppressed minority? I got one for you. The Christians of the Middle East. How about them? Where was the outcry when ISIL took out the Chaldeans from Iraq and the Assyrians from Iraq? And the Syriacs from Syria. Where was the outcry then? I didn't hear any outcry. I didn't hear anything about Muslim oppression of, minor, of Christian minorities. Hardly. Hardly anything. Uh, the, the Muslims used to walk in front of the, the house of my grandparents chanting, Today, which means today is Saturday and tomorrow is Sunday. Now, to Western ears, such a chant means nothing. But we knew very well what the code was. The code was... You know, the, for Islam, the holy day is Friday. For the Jews, it's Saturday. And for the Christians, it's Sunday. And so their message to us was, after Saturday comes Sunday, meaning once we've taken care of the Jews, we're coming for you next. So I'm going to tell you something that a lot of Christians in the Middle East fear to say, but as long as the Arab Muslim nations are occupied with the state of Israel, we get to live another day. 
Because if there was no state of Israel, we would be eradicated. We would be next. And guess who would be next after us? You guys, the Christians of the West. I've heard this, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's shocking to hear, and we don't want it to be true, but it does seem there's a religious agenda behind all of this. It's not really about the land, is it? No, and, and here's the proof, and, I, and this is the reason why I have my, the Quran, my, my Quran in the background, and I read, it, I read it, Arabic is my native tongue, so I read it in its original Arabic, and the, the translations, I can tell you, soften the blows very much. <laughs> Literal blows, like when Muhammad tells men to, Muslim men to beat their wives, that's, that's not translated in the English translation. But according to the Quran, the, the land belongs to the Jews. The Quran, Muhammad, uh, tells them, their prophet tells them that Moses, God instructed Moses to lead the people to the promised land. It was historically understood that's the land of Canaan. And that is mentioned more than once in the Quran. Uh, Jews are mentioned in the Quran. Palestinians are not. Never. Uh, Jerusalem is never mentioned by name in the Quran, whereas in the Bible it is mentioned just under a thousand times. So in Muhammad's day, in the 7th century AD, in the Arabian Peninsula, nobody cared about what was going on in the Levant. Jerusalem is not a holy place, according to Islamic theology. That's a later fabrication for political purposes. Nobody, Muhammad didn't care about the Levant. He, he didn't care anything about it. And so he was glad to say that the promised land, the, the Levant was given to the Jews as long as he got Arabia. And so it's shocking to me, it's surprising to me that when you, when you have so-called uh, Quran-believing Muslims who are supposed to believe their Quran, when it comes to politics though, they go against their Quran and they claim that the land is theirs. But if they really believed their Quran, they would actually acknowledge that it belongs to Israel. So that shows you that they're happy to quote their religion as long as it aligns with their political desires. But once their political desire crosses their own religion, they will cross the Quran. So it really comes down to that then. Um, so, uh, Pastor George, what can you tell us about what recently happened and the anti-Semitism that is rising and people um, outright calling is Israelis and the Jews occupiers um, and that it's they kind of deserve what happened to them? I literally heard somebody say this on a video yesterday. They deserve what happened to them. They have what's coming because they've been occupying this land. All right, quickly, let me say this. It is the richest, deepest of hypocrisies for the Arab nations, and especially the Muslim nations, to scream occupation, colonization. Because anybody that knows their history knows that the Arab people came out of Arabia. Arabia is the Arabian Peninsula, which is modern day Saudi Arabia, Oman, uh, Oman forgive me, Bahrain, Qatar, uh, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait. That's where Arabs were. The Arabs in the Islamic con conquest, a tide arose out of the Arabian Peninsula and conquered everything from Kazakhstan in the east to west to the Maghreb and Western Africa. That's what the Muslims possess today. And that's what the Arabs possess. The Middle East is not Arabic, not historically. Arabs are from the Arabian Peninsula. The Arabs came out of the Arabian Peninsula, out of the desert, took over the Byzantine Empire, part of the Sasanian empires, 
they took over Syria, forced it to speak Arabic, forced it to Islamicize. They did the same thing to Egypt. They even reached into Europe, the Iberian Peninsula, which is why Spanish has L all over its language. That's from the Arabic. That's an Arabic holdover. So those guys come out of Arabia and take out genocidally entire uh, ethnicities of people, take over everything from Kazakhstan to Western Africa. There you go. And then turn around and say that the Jews are occupiers for occupying the very land that their own Quran tells them God gave them. It, wow. it's, it, it, the hypocrisy is painful, painful, especially, I repeat, to Middle Eastern Christians. So you Christians in the West, you know, you can, you can be all, I, I get it. I get it. Look, we all want to be for the oppressed victim. We all want to be, you know, and the Palestinians understand that very well. And they know how to manipulate you. They are smart people. If you look at that map that you had there, where you had Israel, a little speck surrounded by all that green, the optics look bad for the Palestinians if you show people that. And so what they discovered is we can reframe the optics. If we um, reframe Gaza and the West, West Bank within Israel as, as Palestinian Arabic ground, and we focus in to the map of Israel, then Israel looks big and the Palestinians look small. And now Israel looks like Goliath and we look like David. And then we can therefore elicit compassion out of the West because the West loves an underdog. They understand that. And so they reframed the optics for you. Wow, that makes so much sense. And you can see very clearly when you look at the, the whole entire area that, you know, Israel is it's very small. Um, and, you know, can you confirm that many offers to give Palestinians land have been made over time, including up to 97% of the West Bank with Gaza? Sure, I've got a list. I've got a list of those, uh, and we can go over them. Uh, Laura, is it good? Is it okay with you if I give a brief history and come up to that to your question? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. take us through it. So that this is a slide. I've got it uh, as a video on uh, my YouTube channel, Council and Might, Dr. George Antonio's Council, written with S E L, not C I L, as in the spirit of Council and Might. So slide number seven. This is slide number seven, and I pick up here because there is to, uh, for people to understand. You've, I'm sure you've got some Christians that listen and some Bible readers. The ancient Philistines, you know, David fighting the Philistine giant Goliath and whatnot. The ancient Philistines, after the, the Babylonian captivity in 586 BC, ceased to exist. You, you hear about a whisper of them in the days of Nehemiah. Moab, Edom, Ammon, as nation states, if I say their names, most people are like, what are those? Exactly. So as nation states, they began, they stopped, ceased, they ceased to exist. And so... 500 years later, the Roman Empire comes into the Middle East. And uh, any, anybody who's a Bible reader, and as I said, that's in the Quran as well, when you open up your Bible and you start reading in the Gospel of Matthew, the land is called the land of Israel by the Apostle Matthew. You know, the, the, the angel tells Joseph to take Mary and Jesus and to go up to the land of Israel. So your Bible calls it Israel. You want to cross your Bible, go ahead, but I'm not going to cross my Bible. Not only so, but the province in the Gospels is called the province of Judea. Why did the Romans call it Judea? Because there were Jews there, not Arabs. Where does, so where does this term Palestine come from? What happens is in uh, slide number nine, if we go to slide number nine, there was actually, everybody knows about the revolt that the Jews began in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. But there was a second revolt, Elora, in the second century. 
under the Adrian, uh, during the reign of the Emperor Hadrian. And he was so incensed with the Jews revolting a second time that what he decided to do is he basically banned the Jews from coming into Jerusalem. And then he built a heathen temple on top of the destroyed uh, temple. And then he changed the name of the province from Judea. And he reached back 700 years in time, back to the Babylonian captivity, pulled out the ancient Philistines whom he knew were the historical enemies of Israel in their holy book. And he called the land Palestina instead of Judea to spite the Jews and changed the name of Jerusalem to Aelina Capitolina. That, so to put it in modern terms that the hearers can better understand, that's almost like the French uh, coming in and taking over Ottawa and then calling it Paris just to spite the English. That's, this, wow. that's what he did. So this is where the term Palestine comes back in history 700 years after the extinction of the Philistine people. Now, if we keep going with the, fly, the slides one by one, I'll go through them quickly. But this is the kind of homework that needs to be done if you want to understand that issue. Exactly. If you have an opinion about Gaza, I ask people, if you're going to have a political opinion about Gaza and West Bank, my question is, do you know how Gaza and West Bank were created? And almost nobody knows, but they have an opinion about it. <laughs> so now the, you got the Byzantines, the Byzantine Empire, Eastern Roman Empire, they call it Palestina. And then if we keep going, what happens after the Byzantines, uh, slide number 11. Uh, let's go to slide number 12. Let's go to slide number 12. So it's in that context here. It's in that context. There's there's your Muslim empire. And there's the Arabian Peninsula that I was talking about earlier. That's in the, in the lower right corner of your screen, modern-day Saudi Arabia, the Rashidun Caliphate. That's the Muslim empire. There were three power blocks in the region, the Byzantine empire to the west, the Sasanian empire to the east. Those guys in green after uniting the peninsula, are going to go out and take over the Byzantine Empire completely. And when they do, they're going to, in the next slide, everything now here that you see, the Middle East has become Muslim and Arabic by force of sword and by conquest. Jerusalem is utterly irrelevant in Islamic theology. I'm not going to go into the details now. We can talk about Jerusalem another time. But they come over there and they, they take over the area. Now, when they get to the to the Mediterranean Sea, they come across a land that's called Palestina. Why? Because we saw that the Romans reached back 700 years in time and gave it the name of the enemies of the Jews just to spite the Jews. So what is the Arab going to call it? He just transliterates Palestina into Palestine, which is why Arabs say Palestine. By the way, the word Palestine is a Hebrew word, Peleshet. So it's ironic that you have so-called Arabic Palestinians claiming freedom for Palestine when they don't even have an Arabic word for their own land because it was never their land. They're using a Hebrew word to describe the land they're claiming as theirs. I mean, more ironic than that, you just, you die. I don't know what could wow. be more ironic than that. That is amazing. And that is something I haven't heard because I've been having a lot of guests on to talk about this. I appreciate that. Wow. Well, to put it in context, when Muslims in Jerusalem pray, they are instructed, at first he instru Muhammad instructed them to face Jerusalem, but then he instructs them to face Mecca. So just take, you talk about optics, just find a picture on the internet of the Muslims. You know, they say, look, Jerusalem is the third holiest site in Islam. This is ours. The Jews came and took it from us and we are reclaiming our national birthright. When the Muslims pray in Jerusalem, they turn their backs to Jerusalem and they face Mecca eastward. Their rumps, their behinds are given to Jerusalem. They literally give their behinds to Jerusalem. 
they must turn their back to Jerusalem so they can worship their God. How is Jerusalem any holy in Islam when you have to turn your back to it? Right. Wow. Okay, so briefly, this is slide number 16. Uh, the Crusader King Kingdom comes in. Slide number 16. And how much do we hear about the uh, evil... Oh, I, I added I added a, a slide in the meantime. Look in the... If you go back, let's see. Is it fifth, maybe 15? Yeah, there we go. Good job. Thank you, guys. Uh, excellent work there. Now, let me say something about the Crusades that a lot of people don't, often, don't consider. Uh, Muslims will say, you know, you guys coming in here, the Jews coming in here, and America coming in here, those are crusades, and you want to colonize us like you did, like the British Empire colonized us, and you want to take our land that is not ours. I repeat, that wasn't their land. Islam took that land from the West. The Roman Empire, and before it, the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great, the West has possessed that land since 320, uh, 330 B.C. The, from 330 B.C., to about 700, so for a thousand years, those lands are Western lands, and that's why people would go from Europe to worship in Jerusalem. So the Arabs come out and they take that land after the West having possessed it for a thousand years. So what does Europe do naturally? They send crusades. Now, I am painfully aware of the excesses of the Roman Catholic Church that denies the Bible and does not teach the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ which instructs us that we are saved without works, without sacraments, without the intercession of Mary. We are saved only and exclusively by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, to whom, to whom be all the glory. I'm aware of that. But the Roman Catholic Church or the West wasn't wrong about everything. And as far as the casus belli, the cause of war, as far as geopolitically speaking, the West was absolutely justified in sending the Crusades. They are reclaiming land that they had possessed for a thousand years, and a bunch of Arabs come out of the desert and in the name of Allah, take over. What would you expect the West to do? To put it in modern terms, it's the equivalent of, it's as if America and Canada today conquer the Middle East. If we conquered the Middle East today, would we not expect the Arabs to counterattack and reclaim it? Sure we would. So that's what the Romans did. The, 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 the Arabs came out of the Arabian Peninsula and took over their land. Jerusalem is holy to Christianity and to Judaism, not to Islam. So the Crusades were entirely justified. It was just a, another big fight, I guess, over, over the land. Over and over... land, yeah. But that land belonged to Europe for a thousand years before it belonged to, to, to Islam. For a thousand years. All right, so if we go now, so what happens next after that? After that, uh, quickly, the Mamluks take over, which is a uh, Turkish. Those are the servants of the Arabs. They're a Turkish uh, tribe, and they over they rebel against their masters, and then they take over uh, the, the, well their masters' lands. And uh, they use the the they basically use the term uh, they call it Philistine. And then after that, everybody knows the Ottoman Empire. The Turkish Ottoman Empire takes over. There's a there's turning after turning of empires. That's slide number seventeen, if I'm not mistaken. Now. Here's the interesting thing. The Ottomans don't call it Palestine. The Ottomans call it Syria. Keep that in mind because that's going to be key to what the Nakba is. Many of the hearers, maybe your audience may have heard of the term of Nakba. And many people think that Nakba means 
it's the catastrophe of the creation of the state of Israel. Technically, that is not so. The Nakba, actually, the Arabs of the turn of the 20th century considered the catastrophe to be the creation of Palestine. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive to people and cognitively dissonant, but you're going to have to rewire your brain if you want to uh, understand real history. The Arabs revolted against the idea of Palestine because they believed that the creation of Palestine was a Zionist conspiracy. Get that. I'll, I'll explain how in, in a couple of minutes. All right, so the next thing after that, so I'm going to show people here on the map. Here's the Ottoman the provinces, how they were divided. And you can see that they call it Syria. It's southern Syria, not Palestine. At the bottom of your screen, you see Jerusalem, the Sanjak of Jerusalem. That is called Syria. That's known as southern Syria. They do not call it Palestine. And if you go to uh, slide number 21, after World War I, the British, of course, defeat the, uh, the Ottoman Empire. They take over it. And here's a picture of Gerald Allenby who walked on foot into Jerusalem. You know why he walked on foot, by the way? Because he believes that Jesus Christ is going to come back on horseback into the city. And he considered himself unworthy to walk into Jerusalem on horseback. So he dismounted and walked on foot. Wow. And there's the Balfour Declaration. Yeah, pretty neat. There's the Balfour Declaration, which, uh, which reads... Uh, now, that was addressed to uh, the Lord Rothschild, and I know this is the point where everybody goes, oh, evil conspiracists, evil Jews, I knew it, the state of Israel is an evil entity. Boy, there's a lot of nuance to bring to that kind of thinking, but we can leave that for later. So the now, I want to point the word, I want to point to the wording of the Balfour Declaration. That's important too. Dear Lord Rothschild, Balfour says, I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's government the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. Quote, His Majesty's government, view with favor. Now watch this. The establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Why do they use Palestine? I've heard people on the media, supposed experts in history and, and experts in conspiracies, come up and say, see, the British called it Palestine. That means it belongs to the Arabic people. Even the British knew that. You don't understand what's going on historically. They use the term Palestine because that's the term that justified them in, allow in allowing Jews to come back. Palestine at that point was a relatively neutral term. If they wanted to side with the Arabs, they would have called it, the, they would have said, the His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Syria of a national home for the Jewish people. That's why they switched over to Palestine because uh -huh. Palestine is a neutral term the Arabs didn't care about something called Palestine. And so the revolt of the Arabs against the British, if you go down to sli slide number 24, was how dare you call it Palestine? That's history. And if I'm saying something wrong, fact check me. There's the picture of the book that I told you about, George Antonios. I think it was written in 1938, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Uh, the Arab and, and Awakening is... by George Antonios. Right. This is your um, your family, your your grandfather, or it's well, no. So for, as far as George Antonio's, I cannot prove a, a blood link, but he's from my hometown. He bears my name, which is very small, and he's got a similar Orthodox background and went down to Palestine. So I mean, the odds are are okay. So you know, you don't know the for odds sure. are, are no, no, I don't know. The for odds sure. are but that, that you might be related to to him. Sure, absolutely. Hmm. Wow. So. 
you know, the title is, you know, wake up, O Arabs, basically. I'm shortening it. Okay. Now, you know what he says in there? He, he basically says, this is not Palestine. Stop calling it Palestine. This is Syria. You're only calling it Palestine because you want the Balfour Declaration to have a foot to stand on so you can allow the Jews to return. Because the Ottomans, remember, had been calling it Syria for 400 years. That's all the Arabs knew, uh, the Arabs of the day. They hated the term Palestine. That's why Golda Meir, the prime minister of Israel during the Yom Kippur War, in a famous interview, she says, look, I have a Palestinian passport. She shows her Palestinian passport. The, so what I'm asking the audience to understand is this. The way the, the Arab rea- the the connotation of the word Israel today, with what the, the kind of feelings and emotions that the word Israel evokes in Arabs today was exactly the kind of feeling and emotions that the word Palestine evoked in the Arabs at the turn of the 20th century. And so what has happened was a big switch in the terms, and it happened precisely to pull the wool over your eyes in the West. So this is slide number 25. Fascinating. And again, do me a favor and fact check me on this stuff, guys. This is slide number 25. This stuff you're not going to get on the CBC and, and no, whatever this is else. Gold. That's why you that's why you're share, watching. Everybody, Ireland. everybody share, share, share. You want to know the truth? This is amazing. So now we're coming up to, to your question. 1919, the first Congress of Muslim Christian Associations met in Jerusalem to elect local representatives for the International Peace Conference in Paris. During the meeting, the following resolution was adopted by local Arab leaders. And I quote, we consider Palestine as part of Arab Syria, as it has never been separated from it at any time. We are connected with it by national, religious, linguistic, natural, economic, and geographic bonds. So they're they're telling the world, this is Syria, basically. You want to talk Palestine? Okay, but that's Syria. 1937. The local Arab leader, Aouni bin uh, Abul Hadi, addressed the British Peel Commission, which suggested a partition of the British Palestine mandate. Quote, there is no such country as Palestine. Palestine, listen to this. 1937, the Arab local Arab leader says, Palestine is a term that the Zionists invented. There is no Palestine in the Bible. Our country was for centuries part of Syria. 1946, Arab-American Princeton professor Philippe Hette, famous guy, testified against partition to the Anglo-American Committee with the following candid statement, there is no such thing in Palestine in history, absolutely not. So the Arabs were saying then what the Jews are saying today. Why are they saying that? Because for them, Palestine was the Zionist conspiracy because the Balfour Declaration used the term Palestine. So they wanted to say Syria, which would block uh, Jewish immigration to, to, to the region. Now, you want to, the, the next slide is, is shocking because the two-state solution, everybody's talking about the two-state solution. I feel, I feel like, Laura, I feel like I'm in a twilight zone when I hear people still discussing the two-state solution. We've already had the two-state solution. It was implemented 101 years ago. 101 years ago, we established the two-state solution, illegally, actually. You know what the two-state solution is? Israel and Jordan. Jordan is the modern, the, the Palestinian in modern understanding state. So if you look at your map there on the right, everything in white was the mandate for Palestine. The Balfour Declaration allowed Jewish presence and immigration to that area in white. Therefore, west of Jordan and east of Jordan, the Jews could have come and established for themselves a home west and east of the Jordan. 
But what had happened was, long story sh short, I'm going to cut it cu cut it short, but there was uh, the, the Arab tribe that was in charge of Mecca got booted out by the Saudi tribe. So they had helped the British during World War I. And as a compensation prize, Church, uh, Winston Churchill, one Sunday afternoon over tea in Cairo, literally, that's what he boasts of, he, with a stroke of a pen, he basically takes the pen, cuts everything east of Jordan, 77% of the uh, territory where Jews could have lived. And he said, all right, we'll give you this. We'll give, to an Arab who came out of Arabia. And they call it, Laura, they didn't even have a name for the country. That's why they call it Transjordan, which is simply a geographic description. It's like, what do we call this place? Uh, I don't know. It's uh, on the east side of the Jordan River. Oh, okay. So it's Transjordan. And so for the next 20 years, it's known as Transjordan. And that was a botch on the, the Jordanian state. So they were ashamed of that. And they petitioned the United States and saying, just call us Jordan because it's, it's silly to call us Transjordan, which is why today you have the country of Jordan, which is named after a river. <laughs> so that's a two-state solution. It was officialized at the 1921 Cairo conference. And, and the, the Arabs got the lion's share of the territory. They got 77% of the territory. That's why in the next slide I showed uh, what each bought. It was a Palestinian Arab terrorist who, who believed in Jesus Christ and God saved, became a Christian. He says, one day, he says, I was a Jordanian all my life. And then one day I woke up and someone took the star off my flag and now I was a Palestinian. Look at the two flags. The top one is the flag of Jordan. The bottom one is the flag of Palestine that you see, you see, Lord help me. And when I see those university students, this, you know, Canadian Japhethite, white, blue-eyed, uh, university educated, media gobbling students walk out on the streets and waving Palestinian flags and screaming, wave Palestine. And it's like, those guys don't know the 101 geography that that's a Jordanian flag that you're flying. And you are thereby implicitly confessing that Jordan is the Palestinian state. Wow. Jordan is the Palestinian state. Mm. They got the lion's share. And why, right, how are we doing why so would, uh, I'm great. I don't even want to stop you. It's so fascinating. But so um, why, would it, um, why wouldn't the Palestinians then be more at home in Jordan? And, and just because it's such a, a big area. Well, they would be, but they, but, but, well, look, you know how it is with kids. Nobody wants the toy until someone picks it up. And especially if the kid that picks up the toy can make it work, right? That's a broken toy. Nobody wants it. Then a kid comes along and, and, and makes the toy work. And all of a sudden it's, Hey, that's my toy. That's, that's just all it is. And the proof is, as I told you, they're going against the Quran by saying that their own Quran. That's why. So what you, what you mean is that Israel works. Yep. They came to the land. I'll, 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 you know what? Perfect. Per per perfect segue here. Let me show you a couple of things. That's going to, that's going to answer now your question here too. Yep. So slide number 30. I'm really glad that you're allowing me the opportunity to do this. Uh, Lord, to put this stuff. Thank out you. There. We need this. All right. Now the, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's a testimony to how true the Bible is. You see the Lord Israel rejected their God in the Old Testament and they rejected Jesus Christ and didn't even believe he's a real Jew, called him a Samaritan. And Moses prophesied. He said, I will move you to jealousy with those that are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. That's the verse on top of the screen. 
with he said God there's a prophecy of Moses 1500 years before Christ who says I'm going to move the Israelites to jealousy with those which are not a people and boy that's the Palestinians because there's no such thing as an ethnic Palestinian identity it's a purely political fabricated identity and I'm not saying this the Arabs are saying this this is the PLO leader if some of you are old enough to remember Yasser Arafat and the PLO movement the Palestinians that hid in Lebanon were attacking Israel out of Lebanon and we Christians had to fight against them. Uh, 1977, the leader Zuhair Muhsin on the left side. This is what the PLO leader says. The Palestinian people does not exist. In reality today, there is no difference between Jordanians, Palestinians, Syrians, and Lebanese. Only for political and tactical reasons do we speak today about the existence of a Palestinian people since Arab national interests demand that we posit the existence of a distinct, quote, Palestinian people to oppose Zionism. For tactical reasons, Jordan cannot raise claims to Haifa and Jaffa, which are in Israel proper, while as a Palestinian, see, Jordan can't claim that land. That looks bad. But me as an Arab inside that land, because I identify as non-Jordanian, so then I can say this is my land, because if they identified as Jordanian, Laura, then the world would tell them, well, then go to Jordan. But then they say, well, no, no, I'm not Jordanian, even though I have the same flag, by the way. But I'm not Jordanian. I'm a Palestinian. So I have, I want this land. That's why. That's it. And uh, this is, you've you've got this stuff. Uh, Robert Spencer, December 9th, 2011. Quote, the Palestinian nation was invented as a tool of of the jihad against Israel. Instead of tiny Israel surrounded by huge and hostile Arab states, the picture suddenly changed to the powerful Israeli war machine victimizing and even tinier people, which is, what I was telling you um, uh, in the beginning. Hmm. Now, as far as why they didn't want it, slide 33, here's why they didn't want it, Laura. There was nothing there. It was a barren land. And anybody who's a Bible reader knows that that was the judgment of God because of the Jews' rebellion. And notice I'm saying the Jews' rebellion. I'm not a guy who's whitewashing Israel, who's blind to the sins of Israel. Believe me, our church is in in a religious Jewish setting and I love the Jewish people and I love the Arabic people. And I love all peoples because my God loves all peoples. I'm not blind, but I'm not, I'm not blind to their sin. So this is why I say they rebelled. They did. And part of what they're suffering is judgment of God. Absolutely. But the reason why the Arabs didn't want it, nobody was interested because there was nothing there. An English pilgrim in 1590 who was there says there's nothing there in relation to Jerusalem to be seen, but a little of the old walls, which is yet remaining. And all the rest is grass, moss, and weeds. The British council in 1857, describes the country as considerable degree empty of inhabitants and therefore its greatest need is of a body of of population. In 1857, a few years before Theodore Herzl, begins the modern Zionist movement to repopulate the land, a land that nobody cared about. And Mark Twain, everybody knows Mark Twain, and he had a way with the words, and here's how he describes it. He says, there is not a solitary village throughout its whole extent. That's in northern Israel. Not for 30 miles in either direction. One may ride 10 miles hereabouts and not see 10 human beings. Where's the past? Where's the Arab population? For the sort of solitude to make one dreary, come to Galilee. Nazareth is forlorn. Jericho lies a moldering ruin. Bethlehem and Bethany in their poverty and humiliation, untenanted by any living creature. A desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent mournful expanse a desolation we never saw a human being on the whole route hardly a tree or shrub anywhere 
Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes, desolate and unlovely. Mark Twain, 1867. Where is the Arab population? Ah. People talk, they talk to me about genocide in Gaza. The population of Gaza tripled, I think, in the last decade. Mm. Tripled. You know who's being genocided? Christians in the Middle East. This is why they didn't want it, because there was nothing there. Now, what happened was when the Jews came in, Laura, the land revived. Like it or not, like it or not, the reason why people hate the Jews so much, the Gentiles, is because they envy them. They envy the Jew, the Jews' ability to turn a rock into gold, to turn to turn a thread into a must-have Christmas toy, to turn a swampland into prime real estate. That's why, and that's what they did. I mean, look, that's what they do wherever they go. So they they go they go there, and I'm, I'm again, I'm not blind to their sins, but you got to admit they've got a, a knack for creating wealth which is a promise of god for that's one of the proofs that they are the real jews by the way we can get into that another time boy i could tell you some stuff about that those are definitely the jews in israel are definitely the bible jews and so they envied them because all of a sudden the law the land was prospering you know what the the jewish flux of repatriated jews after world war one world war ii stirred up it catalyzed the economy in the region and now all of a sudden a lot of arabs realize whoa there's money to be made there and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of Arabs started streaming down to that land. So the Jewish repatriation brought about an increase in Arab population in the area. The Jews coming in brought in more Arabs, not drove out Arabs. Now, I'm not saying they're nice. I'm not saying those Jews were nice, uh, love, lovely people who were just, oh, come and help us and let's share the land. I'm not saying they're like that. I'm just saying for sheerly expedient economic reasons, as you know, whenever there's an economic boom, people follow the economic boom. And so they're coming into the land, repopulated the land with Arabs. But you don't hear any talk about that. So this is Winston Churchill, 1939, in the middle of the of the slide there, noted, quote, so far from being persecuted, the Arabs have crowded into the country and multiplied. <laughs> Winston Churchill is commenting on that. The guy who took 77% of the territory and gave it to to the to uh, to a bunch of Arabs, isn't now, that interesting? Wow. And and after being, after being in in Israel a couple of times in this last decade, um, I mean it's just a, a beautiful, stunning place with industry and agriculture and the best hummus in the entire world, right? JT, we've never had hummus again uh, like we had in Jerusalem and in the the places around there. And it's you, it's you gotta, absolutely I have to say, beautiful. You gotta taste you gotta taste my mom's hummus, Laura. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> uh, that's something we fight with the Israelis over who invented tabbouleh and falafel. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so definitely as you described it, it's it's the the place flourished. The desert mm-hmm. flourished and has blossomed. It's incredible what's happened down there. And the, the power, the powerhouse of an economy. Now, this is what your question. These are the offers that were made to the Arabs, even after. I want to remind people, even after everything east of Jordan was taken away from a possible homeland from the Jews and given to the Arabs. So the Arabs have what you're seeing here 
the at this point when this is offered in 1937 that's the peel commission partition plan the arabs had already taken 77 percent of the territory and still the jews were offered an even smaller territory on the coast from tel aviv up through the north about one-fifth of the remaining mandate territory of the remaining mandate territory the arabs would have had four-fifths the arabs the arabs rejected it they don't want a two-state solution then the next one, in 1947, there was another proposed partition plan. It was two states within Jewish Palestine. And that was rejected. Then there was, uh, let's see, then the civil war happened. Now, this is one I want to show people. Here's Gaza. Let me explain how Gaza and the West Bank came to be. When people are saying free Gaza, it's an open air prison. The Palestinians are surrounded there. They're oppressed by Israel. They're cutting off their electricity, but they only cut off the, the, the water after the October 7th attack. All right. You see this here? If we can blow up that map, uh, this is um, the next one. If we can go to the next one and the next after that, number 40. Yeah. All right. At This is, the, this is kind of a, a battle map of the Israeli War of Independence. At the cessation of hostilities in 1948, the Arab armies were controlling part, if you the, the, you have the body of water that's blue vertically running across the map on the right side of the map, left of it would be the area that the Arab con con armies were controlling. And that is the West Bank. That's what we call the West Bank. Down at the lower left corner of your screen towards Egypt is the area that the Egyptian armies were controlling. That is Gaza. And so if we go to the next slide, if you look at the 1949-1967 map, so the third one from the left, the third okay. one which has, has, has Israeli land in white and Palestinian land in green, this is what people are shown, that Israel is big and those people here in the green, especially on the lower left, Gaza, which is northeast of Egypt, though this is the open air prison. This is the area that the armies controlled at the cessation of hostilities. That's what that is. That's it. Those people there in green should have gone back to Egypt. And those people, in, so the people in green on the lower left of the map should have gone back to Egypt. And the people in green on the right side of the map should have gone back to Jordan. Now, granted, some Arabs actually are from the west of Jordan. That's granted. But I'm talking generally speaking. So what you see here, if that green, if you browse the net, they'll show you this, those maps. That's propaganda. They'll show you how it was all Palestine and Greek, and there was only some white pockets of Jews. And then the, ninth, the evil 1947 UN plan gave more white to the Jews and less green to the Muslims. And then after the war, Israel took even more white, and then there was less green. And now in 2008, look at how small the green is, when in reality, the real map is the one to the right. Starting from the middle one, 1920, the Jewish homeland was to involve east and west of Jordan, and that was taken from them and given to the Arabs. And then even what's remaining of the mandate west of Jordan is being cut up and uh, given uh, to the Arabs also. Let me tell you something according to Islamic theology. They don't want a two-state solution. That is simply a stepping stone and negotiation tactic to placate the Western powers on the way to the utter annihilation of the Jewish race. Because in Muslim theology, 
Judgment Day cannot come as long as there's a surviving Jew. The Hamas covenant, I have a video on Council and Might, my YouTube channel, where I read through the Hamas covenant, and they say that. They say, we must exterminate all the Jews for Judgment Day to come. It's the Arabs, they, the Muslims, I should say, the religious ones, they cannot abide by a two-state solution. They would be seen as traitors to their own kind. They believe that uh, the Jews are essentially the seed of Satan and responsible for all the evil in the world and must be annihilated. That's why they have no problem killing children and women. They are playing you. You are being played in the West. You are being played because you cannot... Because The West, Laura, is, has been so blessed. Because of the influence of the gospel, we've forgotten how brutal human nature can be and how evil religions can be. We have forgotten. We really have. We've had it good for a few hundred years because of the Christian setting that we've had in the West here. That's why it's hard for the Westerner to process exactly how brutal those people are and let me say this let me say and I'll, I'll leave it to you and you can take the conversation wherever you want after this laura but all this talk about this is propaganda it's lies it's not true uh, israel did this to itself uh the holocaust was greatly exaggerated or never happened all right fine let me grant it let's grant that let me let me agree with you for argument's sake the same people who go down on the street and say the holocaust is a hoax and October 7th was a red flag operation, by the same mouth, turn around and call for a Holocaust. The Holocaust deniers in one breath say there was never a Holocaust and the next say, gas the Jews. So whether, you'd, whether there was a Holocaust or not, you are witnessing to a desire for a Holocaust and you are working for a Holocaust and you are asking for a genocide while denying that there was a genocide. Wow, so enlightening. I know you have two more slides. Should, should we show them? Is there anything more for you to add from your presentation um, before I ask you a no, couple of questions? No, that's, that's pretty much it. That'll, that'll yeah. It. Okay, so when... Um, Netanyahu, uh, they say that he has held up um, a map. Uh, maybe he was holding up a map that was more in line with, way. well, maybe what the Bible says and the Torah would give to the Israeli people um, as their land. Um, but people have gotten very upset at Netanyahu. And I'm wondering, um, I've been looking for what everyone's so mad at him about. And um, I, I can't really find it. I think that war is very difficult. And if you're going to be the head of a war-torn area, some tough sure. decisions get made. And, you know, right now they're saying, look at all of these uh, Gazans, it's 10,000 dead. Um, I'm really alarmed that any parent with any kind of uh, decency would have their children in that area after the first couple of days. Like you would just hightail it out of there, wouldn't you? Now I know Hamas was blocking them, but again, that's Hamas fault. The, the uh, Golda Meir once famously said, she said, there will be peace between Arabs and Jews when the Arabs learn to love their children more than they hate Israel. That's one of the most profound things I, I've ever heard. And that is very true. 
they do sacrifice their children. Uh, Muhammad is a prophet of death. The Quran is a book of death. Uh, I'm not calumniating them or slandering them. They say that. They chant it in the street. They say, we love death. Proverbs chapter 8, which is Jesus Christ personified. Again, the Bible is amazingly accurate. He says, all that hate me love death. Um, let's take Israel out of the equation for a little bit because it's the cool internet thing to believe in Zionist conspiracies. Zionists are evil. That is the dirty word. Zionist is the biggest dirty word you can have. So let's take Israel out of the equation so we can deliver the people from their anti-Israel spasms. If we discuss the war that happened between Iran and Iraq, my, my wife is Iraqi, from 1980 to 1989, I've got a movie, I encourage people to get it, it's called Iranium, like uranium, but Iranium. I encourage people to, to check it out. It's a documentary movie, and there's footage there. I had to stop watching it, but I know from my wife, my in-laws are Iraqi. What the Iranians would do, the Islamic Iranians would do, is they would, they wanted to invade into Iraqi territory, which had been littered with mines so they would line up children and when i say children i mean about 10 year old kids with bandanas islamic bandanas and black flags flying and green flags flying and the shahada la ilaha illallah wa muhammad rasulullah and they would line them in file and then at the signal would prod the children to run i assume they were orphans i hope they would prod their ch the children to run into the mine littered field and as the children would run in, the mines would explode and they would so they would use the children to demine the field. And then there and then afterwards, the armies would walk in. Now, I, I find it it's very interesting to me that the, the, the conspiracy mind and again, I believe in some conspiracies. All right. I believe in some conspiracies. My Bible tells me that there's evil men that want to bring in the Antichrist. My Bible tells me that Satan is the God of this world. So I'm not. I'm not deriding the idea, you know, but what I find interesting is conspiracists are willing to believe anything. But when I tell them about things like this, they're like, no, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. You know, you haven't lived in the Middle East, friends, is what I would tell you. You don't know firsthand what that religion is like on the inside. I'm talking about in the living rooms and the bedrooms. You saw the people in Gaza chanting. Uh, let, let's say the rapes and the beheading of the children and I'm not going to talk about the other things that were done because they're too atrocious to name. Let's say, let's say that this was all concocted and it's false. But the people were still rejoicing at the idea of this having been done. Right. The people of Gaza. Yes. Right? They were rejoicing at the idea of this having been done. So saying that it didn't happen does not solve the problem. That's not the issue. The deeper problem is why would you be even be happy at the idea that this happened, assuming that it's false, granting that it's false? And I'm talking about like the, you know, the Gaza 56% would vote for Hamas again still. Because they believe that those guys are doing the work of God. Now they may not like Hamas because it's not providing them with electricity and water because they're corrupt to the bone, but they believe in the ideology. Absolutely. The only way in Islam that you can be assured of eternal life, the only way. Now in my Bible, in the New Testament, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are guaranteed eternal security. Because you don't earn your salvation by your works and therefore you don't lose it based on your works. In Islam, as in all religions, by the way, the only way you can have eternal security, assurance of salvation, is if you die as a martyr. Even better if you kill a Jew, if you take out a Jew. So that's why you have mothers with bandanas over the children's heads that, that, that say Mashru'a uh, Shaheed, uh, Project Martyr, tying it on the kids. 
I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm Lebanese. Hezbollah would fire missiles out of a school. And you saw what they've done under Al Shifa Hospital, how they have their headquarters under the Al Shifa Hospital. They do use their children as shields and they are proud of it because they say, I am willing. It gets you credit, street cred. It gets you street cred. Because here we say, oh, that's monstrous. Down there they say, look at me. I believe in the cause so much. I love Allah so much. I believe in Islam so much that I'm willing to sacrifice my children for that. And they get, they get the applauses. Wow. So for those who are Christians now, who are saying um, the Jews sinned against God, God left them, so God embraced us. The Jews are no longer God's chosen people. What do you say to that? Baloney is what I say to that. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul warned against, against precisely this kind of replacement theology, super cessationist theology. This is Romans chapter 11 and the beginning at verse, uh, verse uh, let's say, uh, look in verse uh, 7. I'll start reading verse 17 from my King James Bible. So in Romans eleven seventeen, 17, you guys can check it there on your own. He says, and if some of the branches be broken off, the Jews, and thou, the Gentile, not necessarily the Christian, but just the Gentile, the Gentile nation, and thou being a wild olive tree were graft in among them and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, which is why we speak of Judeo-Christian values in the West. And I am now in verse 18. The commandment of God to us is, boast not against the branches. For if thou boast, thou bearest not the root of Israel, but the root thee. He says that to the Gentiles. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, he tells Canada and United States. For if God spared not the natural branches, the Jews, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity, the Jews. But toward thee, Canada, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. So you turn against Israel and or you stop believing in Jesus Christ and the Bible, Canada's gone and we are on the way. And you know that, I know. Verse 23, And they also, the Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature, that's not usually what farmers do, into a good olive tree, how much more shall these look, which present tense, even in their unbelief, present tense in their unbelief be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree still present tense in their unbelief for i would not brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles become in and so after the rapture and so all israel shall be saved all israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, still active, when I shall take away their sins. So mm. they're still natural branches nationally. So here's what happens. We must draw a distinction between the individual level and the national level. On the individual level, any person that rejects the Son of God dies and goes to hell for eternity. 
if whether they be Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter. God is no respecter of persons. In fact, the Jew is under a greater condemnation. Hell will be hotter for him because he's supposed to know the oracles of God and he's supposed to recognize his Messiah. And so the wrath of God is increased upon him because he has more light. So on the individual level, yes, they are unbelievers and individuals end up in hell. Sadly, that doesn't rejoice my heart. That's why I love them and I preach to them just like I preach to Muslims and I love them. We have been discussing geopolitics today, not souls. All souls are equally valuable in the eyes of God. All right, now this having this said, on the individual, on the national level, though, on the national level, Israel is described in the Bible as a wife which is temporarily put away. That's how she's described in Jeremiah and in Isaiah. He talks about the bill of divorcement. He says, for your sins, I have put away your mother. Israel is the bride, is the wife of God the Father. And she has cheated on him by committing fornication with idols. And she has rejected his son. And so he says, she's put away. And while she's put away, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles and I'm going to offer them the blessings that belong to Israel freely if the Gentiles will believe in my son, Jesus Christ. And he does that to move Israel to jealousy so Israel can repent. Israel and the church are not the same thing. Two different ecclesiastical bodies. Israel is the wife of God the Father. The church is the wife of God the Son. And to, uh, this, to, to confound the two is gross theological error. So they are temporarily put aside. Now, you can come and say, technically, you would be right. You would say, well, she's not the wife anymore. All right, well, technically, you're right because she's divorced. I agree with you. On a technicality, you are right. But put this in terms that we can better relate to maybe. Imagine that, imagine that you know personally the richest man in the world. He's a trillionaire. And he controls, he can move 200 million men an army of 200 million men at the whim he controls the world economy and he's madly in love with his wife and all his coterie knows that and then his wife cheats on him and he basically tells everybody his staff he says look i'm divorcing her and she cheated on me and uh she's gonna get it but i want you all to know i still love that woman and eventually i'm gonna forgive her and we're gonna reconcile all right so would you come up now to that wife and say, you're not the wife anymore. I am the bride anymore. It's because you, he, divor you div he divorced you. You committed adultery. I'm you, you, you know, would you treat her like that? If you have a half an ounce of sense, you would go, yeah, you'd go, hey, listen, look, this is, yeah, he divorced her. She cheated on him, but he still loves her. Okay. So just be careful how you deal with her. Cause he told us he's <laughs> taking her back. <laughs> That's great. You'd be the greatest fool. It's, it's right. like a parent, you know, chastising their kid, putting them in the corner and you go up to the kid, and you're like, you're not the kid anymore. No, he is. He's just chastised in the corner and you better be careful how you deal with him. The blessing of God to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee is given before the law of yes. Moses. And Paul makes the argument, Galatians chapter three, that the Mosaic covenant, which is conditional, cannot disannul. It does not supersede the unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham. So that covenant is still active, and on a national level, it's still active. So the nations that do bless Israel get blessed, and the nations that curse Israel get cursed. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, open up an atlas. Look at a world map, and I'll ask you to do a simple exercise. Identify what you would think of as generally pro-Israel countries, and identify the generally anti-Israel country, and you tell me what the standard of living is in those countries. 
You tell me why all the Arab nations surrounding Israel have no rain. While those guys have turned a desert into a garden. Wow. Guys, it's the same issue. Look, people have an issue with, I had a relative once that told me that he would not believe in Jesus Christ because he's not going to trust a Jew for his salvation. God knows what he does, Laura. I, he uses the Jew as a filter because he knows how hated they are. And, he, and the Bible says they are contrary to all men. The Jews are, are easy to love, hard to like, was what I tell my wife. And the Arab is uh, easy to like, hard to love. He knows they're tough to love. And he basically says, look, I'm going to use those guys. I'm going to gauge your hearts. I'm going to gauge your heart. You are saved or lost based on what you do with one Jewish man called Jesus Christ. And nations are blessed or cursed based on how they deal with Israel. Now, Jesus Christ is sinless. Israel is sinful. But you know why I, I stand by them? Not because I'm in love with them. Not because I think they're so great. Not because they're so righteous. Not because they're holy. Not because they're so just. They are wicked, proud, arrogant, unapproachable people. I know them very well. But because of my love for their fathers, Paul tells me that they are enemies for the gospel's sake, but they are beloved for the father's sake. Out of love for God, I love his ex-wife. <clears throat> That's incredible. Even though she's a shrew. Right. And you said when we were preparing uh, for this show, right before we went on, you said the Bible is all at once, both yep. completely for the Jews and completely against them. Completely How did you against. put that? Yeah. Absolutely. It's the Bible is simultaneously the most anti-Semitic book in the world and the most pro-Semitic book in the world, yeah. which tells me, by the way, that's written of God. Right. That tells me that it comes from God. It's perfectly balanced. It's in the balanced. Quran, for example, Muhammad, Muhammad tells the, the Muslims, especially, especially the Arabs, he says, he calls them, you're the best of nations. Uh, in wow. my Bible, God tells Israel, I love you. You're the apple of my eye. Whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. I'm going to sell nations to, to get you back and to redeem you. And I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have them for servants. And you're going to be the head. And I'm going to give you power to make wealth. And then he also says, you are stiff-necked. You're rebellious. I'm going to judge you. You're not righteous. I'm not doing this for your sake of your own righteousness, but for the sake of my own name. Listen, if you hate Israel, you're going to find the verses that are anti-Israel in there. And if you love Israel, you're going to find the verses that are pro-Israel. And a balanced Christian has a balanced view. I don't go to the extreme of like, oh, well, they're Jews. They're automatically saved. I'm not saying everything they do is right. I don't. I know how they work. They are, I mean, you talk about sin. The, the state of Israel is replete with sin. Tel Aviv is a sodomite capital of the world almost. Their, their IDF, the IDF, I know from Lebanese sources, they've got like 20% of those guys in the IDF are sodomites, to use the Bible word. They, I mean, look at the nature party they were holding three miles from Gaza. Three miles from Gaza. You know what was going on at that nature party. It was a rave. There's all kinds of fornication, orgies, uncleanness, drugs, debauchery, wantonness, lasciviousness. And you're doing it three miles from Gaza. And the prophet Ezekiel condemns Jerusalem. He says, the Philistines are ashamed of thy lewd ways. I mean, the Muslim looks at you and he's disgusted. Like, that's the people of God. That's the Jew. Those guys are so wanton. They've got no moral, more, no moral restraint. And you have the other extreme of the religious uh, Hasidic Jew, the ultra-Orthodox, who are, you know, for good luck dealing with them. They, you know, they think that they are God's gift to the world when they're not. So I get it. I get it. I, when I try to wow. witness here to a Jew, I can talk to the Arab a lot easier, to the Muslim. 
I can tell mm. them everything I just told you, Laura, and we'll have a conversation and then we'll have tea and we'll have a sandwich together, you know, and our voices will rise and we'll shake hands and we'll part amicably. I can't even talk to the Jew when I want to approach him to talk to, to, to talk to him. No. Right. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm the people of God. You know, go, go, go tell the other Goyim, go tell the other Gentiles, which, you know, <laughs> I'm good. And that's, that attitude stinks in the nostrils of God. And it stinks in our nostrils. They are hard to like. Yeah. You mean, you talk about, I did it. I had a video on that about the, 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 again, check out guys, counsel and might Dr. George Antonis. I just did a video on the Z word or the Z word in the States. They would, in, in Canada, we say the Z word, the Z word, which is Zionism. And what is the attitude of a Christian towards the modern state of Israel? And I go through the reasons why I, I acknowledge their sins. I go through the reasons why that they are indeed still the Jews of the people of the Bible. They're not the synagogue of Satan who claim they're Jews and they're not. Um, and here's why. And I'll say this and I'll hand it over to you, Laura. You do whatever you want after this. Look, to those of you who say those are not the real Jews. They're the synagogue of Satan. Those are Khazarian Turks or I don't know what. You know what's the ultimate proof that those are the real Jews? Mm. That we're talking about them. Because my Bible talks to me, Isaiah talks about the controversy of Zion. So 750 years before Christ, 2,700 years ago, my Bible says that Zionism is controversial. And lo and behold, the number one controversy in the world is Zionism. The fact that we're here having this show, talking about such a small, tiny speck of a state. We're talking about a people group that constitutes 0.002% of the world's population. There's 1.5 billion Muslims, 2 billion um, Christians. There's 20 million Jews in the world. And the very fact that what happens in Israel to that people can put the world astir and that in the comments, people are going to have such strong opinions and their emotions are going to be stirred up and they're going to vehemently argue about the Jews the very fact that you're arguing about them, the very fact that you have such a strong opinion about them proves that this is indeed the people of God because the people of God have ever been controversial. The very fact that they're controversial proves that there's something supernatural about that people. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them. Nobody would care. Just like Newsflash, nobody's talking about the Armenians who are being slaughtered by the Muslims in Azerbaijan. Nobody's talking about the Christians in Sudan that are being slaughtered by the Muslims in Sudan. Nobody's talking about the Christians that are being oppressed in Iraq and in Iran and in Egypt and in Lebanon and in Syria. Wow, excellent points. Um, you know, uh, every day when I start this show, I usually read from my dad's Bible at the beginning. And I had such an unusual uh, portion that came to me in opening my dad's Bible. It's in Isaiah 37, verse 31. So what I do, Pastor George, is I only read what my dad's underlined um, in the Word. And this scripture, so Isaiah 37, 31, my dad has it underlined. It's the only thing underlined <coughs> on this page. And it says, and the Sorry, remnant, it's verse 31. Of and it chapter? says of, of Isaiah 37. Oh, thank you. Okay. I want to be with you. Okay. Yeah. So Isaiah 37, verse 31, it says, and the remnant that is escaped by the house of Judah shall again 
Take root downward and bear fruit upward. From out of Jerusalem, he hasn't underlined this part, but verse 32, from out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. And um, when you brought up, it, it reminded me uh, to make sure, because I, I um, had kind of like not done it at the beginning. And I thought, well, when you were talking about this root being engrafted now, you know, into the olive, uh, the olive tree basically is how the word describes it. We are grafted in maybe because the Jews reject, rejected God and rejected the Messiah. We actually got the huge benefit as the Gentiles sure. to be able to receive this incredible gift, but that, that remnant, you know, and I, I wish my dad were here because I'd be able to say now, dad, out of this whole page, why did you underline mm. that? What did it mean to you, you know? I pray one day the greatest joy would be that my daughters and my son could pick up my Bible and do with my Bible what you're doing with your dad's Bible. Mm. That and is, they will. That's, oh, man, I, 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 I pray so. That's the desire <laughs> of every parent. You would, lo you would have loved Look my dad because he's underlined like I'm, uh, every day on the show, I underline this Bible. I'll, I'll be leaving it to my daughter, and I hope that that's what parents do. But when we Amen. see in the Word all the truth, you know, and then we see, you know, th your kids are never going to love you more than after you're gone, right? They're going to just think you're right. a hero. <laughs> Sometimes while parents are alive, you know, we get annoyed by them. And when we're teenagers, it's really bad, right? But right. eventually we go, these are our heroes, and this is what was important. Yeah. And, and when I... I, I, when I read this word, it talks about Jerusalem. It talks about King David coming to Jerusalem, dancing in the streets with the Ark of the Covenant. It talks about, you know, the whole journey of Moses all through the areas and through Mount Sinai and, and Lebanon. And, and I think about, I think about how so much of, of this area actually would much more than just what they have should be considered Israel. But they've got this tiny little bit, and yet, as you say, the the controversy that arrives from that from that tiny little era is uh, is just um, really astounding, and you know leaves everybody wondering. I appreciate everything that you've said, Pastor George, and I I hope that um, everyone will share this, share, 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 so that. This explanation you've given is one of the finest that we've had. And I've been trying to bring on people that know a lot about it because uh, I'm grasping with, with the history. Um, and I have been looking up all kinds of history to get to know what has happened with the different wars because there's so much disinformation. But you leave us with so much to think about. And the way that those maps outlined what truly is and, and uh, what you know, what the propaganda is, uh, that's really staggering and very helpful. Well, thank God. Look, I'd, I love Canada. And yeah. I know Canada, there's evil influences in Canada, right? I know there's international men that are bent on evil that would love to take away our sovereignty and our freedom. And I know some of them are part of the uh, ruling uh, elite of uh, Canada, but I still love Canada. I'm still mm -hmm. pro-Canada. And so... Uh, certainly, Israel, there's some 
satanic influence in the state of Israel? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the Lord's going to take care of that. He knows. He's aware of that. He knows very well. Uh, the Old Testament Jews were not any more righteous than the people today. There's this bizarre kind of notion in people's minds that somehow Old Testament Jews, the real Israel, were the believing one, and these ones are unbelieving, so they're not the real Israel. Have you read the Old Testament? The, the, the Bible's description of them in summary form is children in whom is no faith. That's the Old Testament. And yet God stood, still stood by them. Now, having said that, let me say this, and I, I'll close with that. I stand by the, I think God is limiting. Uh, eventually, when they repent, they will get their land, which is from the Euphrates to Egypt. Uh, but till then, God is not giving it to them. He's obviously restricted them to that sliver of land. So I understand what God is doing in my age. Uh, you know, I still believe in the, in, in the territorial integrity and the sovereignty of the surrounding nation states, including Lebanon, uh, which is my country that I love. And um, I would say this, lastly too, the most important thing here, we were just talking geopolitics, okay? That's not going to save anybody's soul. Being pro-Israel is not going to save your soul. Or anti-Israel is not going to save your soul. It doesn't matter. What saves a person's soul, what really what God's concerned about for me on the individual level is, uh, do you love my son Jesus Christ? Do you confess that you're a sinner worthy of death and that my son sacrificed himself for you, bore your sins on the cross, rose again the third day? If yes, then God will save you and you can have a relationship with him uh, by faith in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. That's what counts. When Jesus Christ is going to come back, he's going to clean up. The uh, United Nations in New York have outside their building a quote from Isaiah, which they cut off when it starts mentioning the Lord, but he shall, you know, nations are going to beat their swords into plowshares, into their spears, into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lord, uh, rise against nation nor, nor word, learn war anymore. Jesus Christ is going to bring that perfect peace and he will settle all these matters. The most important thing, decision that you can make in your life is, am I going to trust Jesus Christ as my savior? A, from then on, go on to really, with an honest heart and a humble mind, become a student of the Bible. Get planted in a, in a nice, good local church. Follow your pastor. Help to preach the gospel because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to save souls and transform hearts. And the Jews need it desperately because without Jesus Christ, they stand condemned under the wrath of God, just like any other sinner. One final question. I have a Muslim friend who's saying that in the Quran, Jesus is a Messiah and he's named as a Messiah. Do you have any knowledge of that? Well, he's, so he's referred to in Islam, he's referred to as Al-Masih. They do acknowledge that as Al-Masih, which is very interesting to me because they don't realize that the term Messiah, forgive me, I should have translated, Al-Masih is Messiah. They sound similar, Masih, Messiah. That the, the Messiah is divine according to the Bible. So in a sense, they're actually acknowledging his deity without, open, without consciously acknowledging it. I think what the devil has done in the Quran is one of the most subtle it was a tour de force. It was one of the most subtle tricks ever pulled on mankind. And it was the following. The Muslim feels secure, uh, Laura Lynn, because he feels, well, I believe in Muhammad and my Quran. And just in case, just in case, should it turn out to be that, you know, Christianity is real because they are the people of the book. My Quran tells me that the Christians are the people of the book. The Quran tells me that the Bible is an authority. By the way, the Quran never says the Bible was corrupted we can maybe have a show about that someday yeah and but they go just in case uh i'm on the safe side because i love jesus too 
right? Jesus, uh, he's a prophet. He's a great prophet. And he's a, he's a good man. And he's born of a virgin. So the Muslim feels like he's got his bases covered. It reminds me of like the, the, the movie, The Mummy, where this guy, the mummy's approaching to kill the guy and he's got like different uh, necklaces. He's got like the Star of David and the cross and the crescent. He's trying them all, you know, to see which one will protect him. The Muslim feels like that. So I don't dishonor Jesus. So Jesus has no reason to condemn me because Muslims believe that Jesus will judge the world. The problem with that view is, is that you are not saved based on your acceptance of Jesus Christ as a prophet. You are forgiven based on, on your acceptance of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And to address the Son of God as anything less than deity is les majesté, the crime of les majesté, which is it's blasphemy against royalty. I don't go up to our prime minister as much as I disagree with him. I don't call him Mr. Mayor or I don't call him Mr. Member of Parliament. Now, that's an honor, honorable title. I would be honored if somebody called me MP. But my prime minister is bigger than an MP. He's prime minister. And he is worthy of the honor that goes with his office. So the fact that the Muslim goes up to Jesus and say, hey, I honor him. I call him a prophet. You're actually dishonoring him because you are lowering him from his exalted state as God in the flesh. And unless you believe that God is in the flesh in Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved from your sins. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, be blessed with your family. Have a great weekend. Thank you for giving us so much time. Um, this is epic. Please, everyone, share this out. And uh, let's do another show again on some of the topics uh, that, you know, can be um, jumped onto from, from what we've already talked about. God bless you, uh, Pastor George. Thanks for all you do. God bless you, Laura Lynn, and God bless all your team that's behind you that are working so hard. We appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Take care. That was fascinating. I thought that was one of the most informative um, interviews that we've done, highlighting the truth behind all of it, the history. And when you hear that history, when you hear that the, you know, the Arabs in times past refusing to acknowledge Palestinian land, Palestine, right? It's just, uh, isn't it fascinating? Wow, I absolutely loved it. Okay, one quick video, then I'm going to let you go. An oldie but a goodie from Alex Newman asking Greenpeace co-founder Dr. Patrick Moore about the effects of a new Green Deal. There's a lot of talk now in the United States about this Green New Deal. Uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to look at that, but what are your thoughts? Are, is this a good idea or are we in trouble or what's the plan? Well, it's a recipe for mass suicide. Uh, it's just quite amazing that someone that is in government, actually elected to the government of the United States of America, would propose that we eliminate all fossil fuels in 12 years. <laughs> this would basically result, if we did it on a global level, it would result in the decimation of the human population from seven odd billion down to who knows how few people. I mean, it would, it would basically be begin a process of cannibalization amongst the human species because the food could not be delivered to the stores in the middle of the cities anymore. How would this, even just that one point, the, the point that bothers me the most is if you eliminated fossil fuels, every tree in the world would be cut for fuel. There's no other source of heating and cooking once you eliminate fossil fuels. You can use animal dung if there were any animals left, but the animals would all die too because 
well, first off, they would all get eaten, and any that survived would be have to go wild because there'd be nobody left to look after them. I mean, it's the most ridiculous scenario I've ever heard. People recognize when something is preposterous, and I think that's the best word for it. Well, the best word for it is actually mass suicidal. But why would anyone vote for something that was going to result in the death of nearly all humans on Earth? I don't know. Do you have any good answers for that? <clears throat> JT was saying, you know, we can play Dennis Meadows again. You know, uh, he, he talks openly about the depopulation. You know, the world's at 7 billion, 8 billion. Uh, we got to bring it down to 1 billion. And so basically he says that's what, that's what needs to happen. And these people talk about it like that's just, you know, common chit-chat. Yeah, too many people. We're going to have to get rid of some. I don't know. I don't, we'll think of all these different ways to do it. Um, the other thing too, JT, I would just a really quick share. Minister tight-lipped on whether Ottawa looking at new regulator to fight online harm. Um, all of this is very interesting. We do find Justice Minister Arif Virani is keeping tight-lipped about whether the federal government is considering a new regulator that would hold online platforms accountable for protecting users from harmful content. Asked about the prospect of a new agency, Virani said Friday, the government is looking at consultations that have been done to date and how other countries have confronted the issue. We're studying what's worked in foreign jurisdictions. So I don't know how you see all that, um, you know, JT, but I, I'm pretty concerned at, it's very subjective about what online hate, what online harm is, because many people would consider, you know, some of the um, the pushback against woke agendas to be harmful. And so who gets to regulate what? And so, as you know, and as we've been presenting day after day, our country of Canada heading more and more into putting regulations to stop free speech, to, to stop the freedom of thought, the freedom of belief, the freedom of faith. My website is laurelin.tv. I thank you very much. Um, uh, oh, yes, okay. Uh, we want to let you know, uh, we want to promote my book a little bit more, and that is Relentless Redemption. And you know, I did uh, North American Tours, it is a Canadian bestseller, and I barely talk about it anymore. And the reason is because, well, COVID, you know, everything hit, and suddenly it was all about that and, and fighting for our lives. You know, um, I had lost my job, and JT was no longer working for the um, organization for, you know, for the the broadcaster that he had been employed with. And so everything kind of went by the wayside. But my book, Relentless Redemption, let me tell you, if you think, you know, if you like to give a book to someone for Christmas or whatever, maybe this is just the book. You can order it on Amazon. And um, and it is a bestseller. And the letters that I have of people that said their lives were absolutely changed by this book because it's a gut-wrenching tale of my personal story. And it's, you know, the second half of this um, has to be written. So we're going to figure out how to get that done. <laughs> I don't know how to do it in the middle of my very busy life, but the next chapters need to be written. But this is how I kind of got to here. So it's a harrowing story. It's, um, it's a painful story. And... At one point, I was in so much pain and shame, I didn't know how I, how I would recover, but I discovered that God is bigger than all my problems, and He's bigger than all my failure, and God loved me even when I rejected Him. God loved me even when I 
did things completely against his will and purposes. And I got through it because of his redemption. And that is true for every one of you. If some of you are going through things and you think, I'll just never get through this, or you know someone, maybe your daughter, your aunt, your son. Um, uh, lots of men love my book. I was surprised at that because it's kind of a, a woman's story. But the story of failure and God's intervention and his power, lots of, there, there's lots of like kind of scripture that's tied in, you know, because it's not like a Bible study at all, but there's scripture that's kind of put in to, um, to shore up how powerful it is to be with God. When you're with God, he can help you to get through anything. He can break off the chains that are holding you back. Everything that you think is controlling you, God can break those chains. And he did it in my life and uh, he'll do it for you. So we'll leave you with that. Um, the website, laurelin.tv. Thank you very much to all of you who support us. It's getting near the end of the year and many of you want income tax receipts. Well, we're able to offer you that because we are a ministry um, for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you heard today on this show. And we want you to know that we're here to spread the truth and to bring to light, um, you know, the, the things that are going on in the world right now and every single day. We want to bring, you know, well, what is the Bible? How, how do we look at it from a biblical perspective? That's what we do. If you honor that, if you like that, if you appreciate that I'm here every day, maybe you'd like to give a donation and you can do that by going to the website, laurelin.tv. There's several ways. Click on the donate um, button and you could become a monthly uh, sponsor. You could make a one-time donation. You can even do it anonymously. We even have donors that give to us anonymously every month. I don't know why you don't want me to know who you are. It's very hard on me because <laughs> I'd like to say thank you. But um, if you help us, this means that we can keep the lights on. We can keep going. We don't have to have so much stress because this is our work. And we have been attacked, in fact, very recently, um, you know, for what we do. And people asking, well, how does she do it? Well, we do it because nice people like you are honoring the sacrifice and the commitment that we're making to being here every day to give you the kind of truth that, like Pastor George said, you won't see this on CBC. You won't see that outline of the Israeli-Arab um, conflict. You won't see sort of the, the backstory on any of the programs that you're watching on the nightly news. But we're here to tell you the truth. We're here to try to give you a, a great perspective on that. And so another way that you can give is by, you know, an e-transfer, Live at ProtonMail.com. And we just appreciate it any way you can do it. And if you'd like to, you know, make sure that you've got your giving shored up for the year. If this is a place, some of you have stopped going to church. You know, just yesterday, somebody sent me a donation and said, tithe, tithe. I, you know, the, the word of God talks about bringing the tithes to the storehouse. Maybe this is the place that you get your, your fill up of the Lord. You, you get the word of God. You get the strength to get through every day. You get the perspective on how to keep going. If this is that place, help us. Help us to do that. We really appreciate it. We also have snail mail, and that's uh, box 48184 in New Westminster. And uh, BCV3M0A7, 
we love getting your letters. And as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, like we get all kinds of cute little things. Thank you. Somebody sent me this. Um, you know, I walk away feeling blessed. Very, very nice. Thank you, Linda. And I got another note from somebody. And you, you sent me a card. It meant the world. And I'll, this card was really cool because I was having a rough day because some of the attacks that we received. And it says, you're loved more than you know. You're braver than you even imagine. Be encouraged. God is making a way for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. that was sent by Kathy, Kathy and I and your husband. And I appreciate it just for anonymity. I won't mention everybody's name. And as I said, there was this beautiful little girl um, that has, let me just, um, that has sent me this. Caitlin. I loved it. You said lots of nice stuff. And you told me a little story about what you've been standing for and how hard it's been for you and that you get courage and strength because you watch this show. That was awesome. And I'm going to treasure this, Caitlin, forever. So thank you. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for supporting what we do. It means the world to us. I'd like to leave you with, um, as we go, also remember, um, silver and gold are the Lord's. And uh, if, don't leave your money sitting in the bank right now, okay? Okay, I'm going to go to Habakkuk right now. Because uh, we don't know what's going on with our money. Hosea, Amos, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, let me find it. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Habakkuk, okay. <laughs> Oh, it's kind of hard to find those Old Testament prophets in here, but I'm trying to get to Habakkuk. Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Haggai. Okay, I'm getting there. Zephaniah, Haggai. What? This is a good boss. Uh, so Habakkuk says, Obadiah, Jonah, Micaneum. Habakkuk, Jonah, Micaneum. Oh my gosh, we're going to totally run out of time, right? Nahum. I got it. I got it. I found it. It's like a tiny, it's only three, three chapters long. So you gotta, you gotta search for it, you know? And, um, so in Habakkuk three, it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Amen. You know how great God is that he did so many miracles in times past we can read them in the word he parted the red sea to to save the israelites um he sent angelic forces to confuse the enemy so that the israelites would win wars he did so many amazing things lord i've heard of your fame i stand in awe of your deeds lord repeat them in our day in our time make them known in wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. I wonder where that is. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand. Where his power was hidden, 
plagues went before him and pestilence followed his steps. He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. This gives me hope because another famous verse in Habakkuk is though the fig tree does not prosper. Though we have a drought, though we have a pestilence, though we have a pandemic, though many horrendous things can happen, hurricanes, earthquakes, wars, and rumors of wars, God, would you repeat your great work again? Would you do it again? We stand in awe of your deeds, God. Would you do it again? Would you save our land? Would you put your hand of protection over Canada that so far does stand with Israel so that we might be blessed at least in that manner? May we bless Israel. May we not be those who curse them. May we have an understanding that is balanced of good and evil. And may we know this, that it is by Jesus Christ and that name alone that we are saved. God bless. Have a great weekend. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.